Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a bit of pressure in the commodity and livestock trade as we started off the week ahead of Christmas. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here as we talk about issues impacting rural America and, of course, the market trade. We saw the markets work their way lower on Monday session with a few things to talk about, a few storylines we're watching as we get into the final two weeks of trading in 2022. John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing will join us coming up here in just a little bit. But first up, we want to talk about the weather with a big winter storm set to impact things here this week again. Joining us now, Eric Stodgrass with Nutrient to take a look at weather and Eric Good to catch up with you, and uh, I know a lot of folks across the country, just to start to kind of recap, digging out from last week's snowstorm, and we got another one on tap we're going to talk about in a minute, but man, last week, uh, crazy snow totals up across the northern plains, upper Midwest, Eric. Yeah, and remember that same storm start in California where it gave four feet of snow to the uh, Sierra Nevada, so then it you know came out of Wyoming, Montana, getting into the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and some places in there saw two feet of snow and 50 mile an hour winds. So I'll have to go back and look, but I think there were blizzard warnings at some point in the plains for five days, initially on the snow, then followed up with the ground blizzard. And don't forget this thing eventually hit New England and it's just today leaving Maine. It's it's just finally offshore. Uh, I, I almost had like storm fatigue just talking about it. I'm like, it's, give me something new. But unfortunately <laughs> the thing that's new is no fun either. Uh, the cold air that's coming in, but I'll say this about this last system. The total amount of precipitation that it did put down is going to be very important for the rest of the year because the snowpack that's over the north, there's there's an inch and a half to two inches of liquid in that. It will some of that will still be around to get into the soil at some point in the in the distant future. But over the Midwest, we had rains that came through and helped break up the drought issues here. And the Mississippi River is up to 10 feet now. It I mean it was at 1.12 feet below low stage. It's now 10 feet. So that's a that's a 22 foot rise. Uh, overall in in the in the river level uh, which is good no that 20 that's more than it's like 27 feet if i remember correct i go look that up again doesn't matter the river's up and you can move stuff on it it's not up to where it was back before all this started but it's it's recovering so we got to take i guess the good with the bad on that last system but boy was the bad bad in the northern plains i'm glad i didn't have to go there I totally agree, and I know folks are going to be digging out for quite some time with some of those heavy snow totals. You mentioned it, though. we got to turn our attention to not one but two things here this week heading to Christmas, one of which very, very cold Arctic air across a, a big part of the country, and then another storm system setting up here ahead of Christmas this week. So talk about both those. Let's start with the cold, Eric. 
the question everyone's knows how cold is it going to be? And what's amazing about it is the air temperature near the surface will actually match the air temperature about three miles above our heads. That's how cold the air is. But it's a very shallow layer of cold air, which means it's not going to get over the mountains. So the Rockies are going to channel it east. Temperatures could be 30 to 40 degrees colder than normal. When you add to that that the winds will be coming out of the northwest at 30 to 50 miles an hour, we could have windshield values below minus 60 in places in the plains. This is uh, terrible for cow-calf operations, ranchers, uh, just it's exposure. And unfortunately, this is the type of temperatures that um, are, are life-threatening to both man and livestock. It, it's going to be rough. Gets all the way to the East Coast by Christmas. Uh, and uh, the trajectories, I just did this for a group in North Carolina this morning. I said, do you want to know where your air is coming from by Christmas? I plotted them. It's actually, it started off three days ago, smack dab over the North Pole. Now, that's where that cold air is coming from. And it's just incredible to see the depth of it. What's going to ride the nose of that is probably the second thing you're going to ask me is this winter storm, which we watched all weekend long. Every new model run took it away from being a massive East Coast winter storm to a Midwest Great Lakes winter storm. That happens sometimes. We get a, a westward progression uh, in the model runs to tell us where the system's gonna be. And uh, there could potentially be a spot in the midsection of the country that gets a bunch of snow. Uh, my grandma's quite upset about this because one of the forecasts where she lives over in Western Illinois put down 20 inches and she wants us all at her house on Christmas. And I called her and I said, Grandma, I'm not sure. It's just going to be pretty rough. And she says, can't you do something about this? <laughs> I'm like, I wish I could, Grandma. But she's asked me that a dozen times over my life. So anyways, that system, uh, in I can't even tell you where the heavy snow is going to be just yet. I, I got to see more data on this, but it could be a big Midwestern system. And the cold air, like you said, holy smokes. I mean, it's going to be cold through Christmas. Definitely. Do we have a timing at least of some of the snow yet, or is that still kind of up in the air right now? Yeah. So the system is going to be tomorrow on Tuesday in Idaho. By Wednesday, emerging in the plains. By Thursday, rapidly developing somewhere between Missouri, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan. I mean, it's a big bullseye where it mm -hmm. is. But it's going to be that uh, that time frame, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then curl quickly into the eastern Great Lakes by uh, Christmas Eve. All right. Well, we got some other areas to talk about as well here today. Uh, I, I want to talk just South America as well. I know uh, maybe looking for some better rain in Argentina, possibly. What are your thoughts there? We watched over the weekend some shifts around in La Nina that could possibly help with developing a front that's going to go through Argentina a week from now, uh, really about six days from now, next Sunday. And if it does that, it could deliver a decent chance at getting in some rain. Now, remember, if in order for Argentina's crops to be really successful because of the lack of soil moisture, they're going to need routine rains. It's just like us. If we're in drought, uh, your soil moisture isn't there. Each little bit just gets the top couple inches. So this could put like a temporary Band-Aid on, on the issue down there, but it's, it's better rains. Now, Brazil, they're going to have massive rains to finish their crop. I mean, it's it's... It's wet uh, in Mato Grosso, Goiás, you know, big northern, central and eastern growing areas going forward. But uh, we all want to know what's that going to look like when the safrina crop gets in, which is I mean, they're going to start harvesting some early beans this week. So it's crazy to think, but that'll be in the far northern part of Mato Grosso that they're going to do that. Well, and you mentioned La Nina in there as well. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Are we on the last gasp of La Nina? What's the latest? Well, <sighs> La Niña's go out gasping. So they, they just keep <laughs> kind of coming in and, and, and giving us little fits here. 
But here's the important thing. After this Arctic outbreak that's coming over us, we actually see the Pacific jet stream doing something it's not done yet yeah. this fall or this winter. And that is to go from Japan all the way to California. Normally it breaks up in the Gulf of Alaska, but that's one indication. The second indication is the trade winds, while they're reaching a peak right now, are starting to back off in the Indian Ocean. That's the second thing. So I think we're going to start to see the La Nina letting go. And for us, that probably means a pretty volatile winter. In other words, don't plan on one week being like the week before it. But it also means that the risk of us developing extensive drought this winter, in other words, building on what we've already got, that's off the table. I think we're going to see a drought reduction all winter long. And in South America, as a way to kind of finish this up, should we see by March very El Nino-like behavior in the atmosphere. It'll take the oceans a while to respond. But if we see some El Nino-like behavior in March, then all of a sudden we're going to be talking about, you know, we're going to be talking about risk on the safrina crop for being a little drier than normal. So there's all that on the table for us. Well, plenty to watch with that. We'll wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you too. Have a good one. Coming up next, Markets with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. Back with more on Market Talk right after this. market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at Monday's trade action, we saw mostly lower trade as we took a look at the markets uh, with grains, uh, mostly to the downside pressure there. A little bit more mixed activity in livestock trade, but overall, we're entering that week before Christmas, and it's typically a quiet holiday week. But we're going to talk through things, get some thoughts with our good friend John Heinberg, Total Farm Marketing, joining us here today. John, hope you had a good weekend, sir. Glad to have you back on here for the show today. Yeah, just getting kind of ready for a snowstorm the way it sounds. At least coming through our area. I know some of our <laughs> northern clientele has been dealing with it up there in the Dakotas and that region for the last handful of days. And now it seems like another one's coming through there and headed to us. So Merry Christmas, I guess you want to say, between bitterly cold temperatures and snow this week. Yeah, I think uh, most folks, if they don't have a white Christmas yet, they're going to have it. I know talk of this snow and this Arctic cold is going to be getting pretty uh, pretty deep uh, into the U.S. here in the eastern half this uh, this coming week. So we'll have, to, we'll have to watch and see what happens there. And, of course, you know, watch it to see what happens in these markets. And it typically, as I alluded to, this is kind of a quiet two weeks in the trade here as we get to Christmas and New Year's. But coming in on Monday, a little downside pressure in that grain trade. I wonder if that was maybe just some – pre-holiday selling, position squaring, some jitters here, low volume. I mean, overall, 1,000-foot view, John, to start, what's your thoughts on some of that pressure in the grain trade on Monday? Well, let's go right to that soybean market. That's where the biggest push there was today. And we saw some of the forecast models for the end of the week here bring some moisture into Argentina, and that kind of weighed on that soybean meal price. Then we saw some breakdown of that meal oil spread where, where soybean oil was directly higher today, profit taking on the meal side, you know, all kind of weight in the soybean complex. And, you know, it's a complex that's a little bit concerning at the same time. You know, we think there's some optimism there, but you go look at the March contract for soybeans right now. Just talk about a ceiling. Realistically, since we broke apart back into the July window, we've not made it above $15 with the exception of one trading day. But over 20 plus times, we've traded higher than 14.75. So that just tells you that the $15 handle is the sell point. Now, if we get some momentum, basically get some news, probably some demand beyond what we're looking at now, or maybe an adjustment on the later reports on the size of the carryover in a you know in a positive way in terms of price. 
you know, we break that 15 barrier, you can really see some money kind of kick in, but it seems like we're just kind of stuck here, you know, with the inability to go through. So for producers probably need to be make sure we're moving some sales or putting a floor in here. If you sell the grain, you think we're going higher, buy that call, buy that call spread. If you want to hang on to the, the bushels and, and play the cash market, then just make sure you got the floor underneath this thing. You know, because that South American crop is still coming out of Brazil. We might lose five, ten, you know, million tons of beans out of Argentina. But the com combination between the two and what they're forecasted for production will still be a record on the global balance sheet compared to where those two have been in the past. So that's just still something to keep cautious as we move into 2023 in terms of what's going to be happening with that market. So again, maybe today we just with the lighter trade, the lack of people stepping into the market, you know, just didn't want to fight that upside or that downside pull on the beans, especially with the forecast being a little wetter, you know, in a weather market. Well, I'll, I'll get to some thoughts I have with demand in China here in a second. Quarter wheat, though, on Monday, we're down not as hard as beans. Uh, it seems like quarter wheat have kind of been working together the last couple of weeks, John. Very much so. It kind of just seemed like one would be the anchor over the other. Mostly it was wheat being the anchor over corn or, or the balloon to lift corn a little higher if it wanted to move a little bit. You know, today maybe it was a little tied more to that soybean market. Again, just the lack of players in the, and then the overall direction of things. You know, the funds are still got some length on corn. They've really brought that position down quite a ways. Uh, but there's still a little bit of room there. You know, obviously, the Argentina weather does affect corn production as well, at least maybe some early bushels in the harvest window here or when they get into the harvest window, you know, to compete against us on the export market. thing is, though, corn is starting to get a value, you know, with that weakness we've seen in the dollar, with the breakback in prices. We're getting to the spot now that the corn export program will probably start opening up. We got a sale of corn to Mexico this morning, at least announced. I think we're going to see those numbers starting to grow as we go forward. The only problem is we just don't have a lot of sales on the books right now. So we're going to need to see a lot of constant sales to get those bushels shipped out, or we're going to continue to see more adjustments by the USDA. I think right now with today's export inspection, we're about 180 million bushels behind the USDA projected pace mm -hmm. to hit that export target. That's a big number when you think about it. You know, we add that into the carryout, and that, you know, that gets carryout back into the one four plus window. You know, that's going to weigh on prices if that is realized. I think with the price of corn where it is globally, I mean, we haven't seen the big Chinese business. They're probably buying a little bit more hand to mouth here because of the higher prices. In other words, they're not locking in big purchases, taking delivery on it. They're going to buy what they need. And, it, when, and when if the price is right, you'll see them step into the market and pick up some bushels. You know, again, it's probably still not going to see the level of purchases that we've seen in the past because of the Brazilian bushels that went in. But again, with higher prices and maybe the trend being a little lower, what's the hurry to dive into the export market right now if things are maybe coming back to you as an importer and picking up those corn sales down the road? couple of things there that are, are sparking some thoughts in my head here, John. And, you know, you mentioned the export window may be opening up for corn. I wonder, does that mean that the export window for soybeans maybe closes? And a uh, second part to that with China, you know, we've seen China step in and buy the break in this bean market quite a bit. You know, will they step in and buy the break in corn? They're having COVID issues right now. I, I wonder how much that could play in as well, John. Yeah, I still think that's a major concern. And a lot of it's just the uncertainty of the information coming out of there. Now the reason restrictions, which may have been a topic headline favorite to the market. But then you think about it, the COVID cases are going to spike. 
you know, the concerns regarding death loss could spike, you know, what's going to happen to the consumer demand, you know, in that regard still could come into play. So that's something that's going to be a springtime watch as we move into the winter, into the spring and what happens over there. Again, obviously it's hard to get true information out of that country, you know, because obviously they're going to try to save face a little bit in terms of what they're going to put out there for information. So that, but that is a concern in the market. I think that's what's been weighing on the energy markets. I think that's some of the factors weighing on, you know, the break in pork prices here recently, as well as the soybean market here today. It's just that that overall demand is just not there. They still need food. And everything we keep hearing is that they got issues in that regard. So there's still going to be a need for some grains. There's going to be a need for uh, products overall. But at the same time, how much is going to be that demand? And that's going to be a key. So, again, things to kind of watch. You mentioned as the window for beans exports closing, more than likely every day we get a little bit closer to that Brazilian harvest. Those prices are well under U.S. prices. And again, we're going to see that demand shift over. We've already seen it as as much as they're buying U.S. beans here in the front end, they're locking in supplies for that back end with those Brazilian with that Brazilian crop coming at the value that it is compared to U.S. beans. So, again, a little bit cautious again where that bean market might get to after the first of the year. Maybe we got a little bit more run if the weather in Argentina continues to be difficult. But again, still pretty good value out there that producers maybe need to watch and take advantage of in that soybean complex. Well, and I think with corn too, and I know, you know, we were discussing these export thoughts before we went on the air too, but with corn, you know, Mexico obviously is still buying U.S. corn, although we have those issues out there about that upcoming GMO ban. I, I wonder though, if maybe, you know, Mexico and some other countries step in to buy U.S. corn instead of China, but I feel like that's probably an unknown at this point in the market that you can't really prepare for one way or another. You know, realistically, when China locked into Brazil and those bushels there, didn't change the supply picture at all. Okay, it probably just reshuffles the deck chairs in terms of where bushels need to go to. You know, the lack of bushels coming out of the Ukraine, even though we are seeing some movement, is still going to be a factor. Okay, we're looking at percentages difference in what they normally ship out. So countries in Europe, countries outside of, you know, in terms of Africa or Japan or South Korea, which may have gone to Brazilian bushels in the past, now are competing against China and not, those bushels aren't there. They need to find their supplies. And like I said, real soon here, we're going to be the only game in town on the export front. And I think we should see that business pick up. Again, is it going to be enough? That's the big question in that regard to get us, you know, back from making any further adjustments on the demand side of the table. But again, again, like I was saying, though, probably having China step in, buying that Brazilian corn as aggressively as they have just makes other, those other importers have to look to other sources. And realistically, if it's not the Ukraine, the only other source out there is us. Well, again, that's John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing, our guest today here on the show. We'll continue the conversation coming up after the break. A few of the closing grain numbers. March corn down five and three quarters, 647 at a quarter. July corn down five and a quarter, Monday, 643. Soybeans January down 19 at a quarter, 1460 at three quarters, with July beans down 19, 1470 at a half. January bean meal down 1390 at 449.10. Bean oil January up 105 points, 6441. Chicago wheat March down 574. 48 and a half. March Kansas City wheat down a half a penny, 843 and a half. And spring wheat for March down one and a quarter, 908 and a quarter. We'll continue the conversation. We'll look at the livestock closes for Monday as well. All coming up after the break. Back with more market talk right after this.
When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. John Heinberg, Total Farm Marketing, is our guest analyst here today. John, one thought in this uh, wheat market as well. I know we talked to our uh, good friend Eric Snodgrass looking at the weather for the week ahead. Very cold Arctic air. That could impact some winter wheat that doesn't have snow cover and, and give some winter kill. And I wonder, just you know, looking at the wheat market, if that's uh, maybe an underlying theme here that we could watch throughout the week with that bitter cold weather moving in. You know, I always hear you, you got to kill the wheat crop at least three or four times every year in the winter wheat market. So we'll have to kind of watch how it comes out. Always seems to be a trend and gets us a little price boost. You know, maybe we priced some of that in next, last week. We knew these forecasts and temperatures have been coming here for a while. You know, but today you still got to say winter wheat hung in there fairly well. Came off the low, held moving average underneath. You got a little bit of an uptrend there. And then we need to keep climbing and basically in that regard. So, there's probably a little premium getting put in. Again, our still biggest problem with wheat is where we are on the demand side versus global wheat prices. You know, we're still struggling there overall. You know, now we don't get crop ratings unless they're the individual state breakdowns here for winter wheat. So that kind of puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage of what we may have out there until later on in the spring. Uh, but again, you know, we got to watch this weather. I mean, there's going to be some nasty stuff coming through from the temperature standpoint. The market will probably bring some of those prices in at least in the short term until we get a clearer picture. Well, I think that weather's going to have an impact on livestock as well. Let's move there. I know cattle and hog markets on Monday, fairly mixed activity. Was it a bad day? Was it a good day? We'll just call it middle of the road, it felt like. Uh, we do have a cattle on feed report and a hogs and pigs report coming up here on Friday after the close, heading into Christmas. One of your thoughts in this market, it feels like maybe traders have – one eye on the weather, especially the cattle market, and the other eye on those reports coming up on Friday. I think very much so. And I think that was some of the movement we saw in the hog market on Friday it was kind of maybe tied to those forecasts coming ahead. Because when you start getting snow and bitter cold, that affects weight gain, that affects animal movement. So that brings a little pop into the cash price and the futures market maybe coming along with that a little bit. You know, plus also, too, there's just a seasonal tendency when December comes off the board, which it did last week, we get a pretty good run to the end of the year in those front-end contracts. So maybe that was some of the trigger that we saw. It was just some short covering and just, you know, buying on the on that side in terms of the historical front. You know, again, these markets, all of them have been really fighting those historical patterns or staying in them patterns pretty well. You know, that's, I think, what the algos are just tied to. We don't have a reason to sell the historical, say, sell or vice versa. So, so we'll have to see. But again, as I was getting to the, you know, with that weather coming through, you know, how does that affect animal movement? How does that affect weight gain? Hogs seems to be a little bit more susceptible to that, obviously, because of the type of animal they are. You know, it maybe gives us a little bit of a boost. Obviously, Coley hogs and pigs this week, we're expecting to see those hog numbers tighten down. We're not expecting to see that expansion kick in yet. It's pretty hard to do when you had corn prices where they were all year. 
And I think we're seeing that as that strength out in that June, July, August contracts about the lack of hogs that we could have out there, what the fairing intentions are. As we're looking at 107 basically now in those summer months, just short of that in some in July or June and August. So there's some good value and good premium being put into the marketplace here. So we'll have to continue to watch that going forward. Shifting gears over into cattle. Yeah, it's about cash trade. Last week was a little bit, you know, steady for the most part. Kind of encouraged to see the Packers hold in there, especially with Packer margins kind of tumbling. Been a lot of volatility in the retail market to start the week last week, too. So that was pretty interesting to kind of see how that played out. But again, same thing with cattle on feed. We're expecting to see that those numbers come tighter again. Probably another 3% lower than last year on terms of cattle on feed. Placements down another 2 to 3% from last year. You know, that's just going to show where those cattle market needs to be. Now, we got a lot of premium all the way out into the next, next fall and winter. And it's probably still merited as long as the demand can continue to hold. The cattle numbers are just going to stay tight enough that this market's going to have a lot of support. Well, I wonder heading to the end of the year, if uh, especially cattle producers, if they have it, do they need to look at maybe getting some hedges in place, locking in some floors here, even you know, with the thoughts that uh, we could see this cattle herd shrink even more on this December report, John? You know, I've been picking up some puts all the way through. If you're going to do anything on the defensive side, which you need to, and you got, you know, historically high value in front of you. And again, we got a lot of uncertainty regarding the economy and what's going on with the stock market. What could we fall into recession? The aggressiveness of the Fed in terms of keeping interest rates in play. You know, those are all things that could be headwinds over this market. You know, cattle market's poised to continue to run, but if it takes off and the pork, pork products are still there, you're going to see the consumer shift and that could hurt the demand side of the equation. So, but for me, it's about price flexibility. You know, you go look at you know, 150 puts, 155 puts. I mean, those are historically good numbers. Put that underneath that cattle market. At least, you know, if you wake up and we got to wash out for three, four days in a row, you've got yourself protected. But at least if the market were to climb, I'd rather lose put value and keep my animals open to the upside. If you go ahead and lock in some you know, hedges out there or you lock in those cattle, find a way to keep that ownership over top to some extent. Because, again, the cattle numbers are going to be historically tight. With that in reflection, we're still not to those price levels that we saw back in 12, 13, and 14. John, how about that dairy market as we're nearing the final, uh, you know, final couple uh, days here in 2022? What are you seeing in dairy? Anything we need to watch here before the end of the year? Right now, the trend is not the friend of the dairy producer. Let's just kind of put it that way. We've seen cheese prices really kind of tumble here. I think that's just maybe tied to the lack of demand at the end of the year. You know, we've seen that a little bit in the beef side, too, and the pork side. I just don't know if retailers want to keep a lot of inventory going into the end of the year just because of the budget situation and making their balance sheets look a little bit better. I hope we see some dairy demand pick up, at least on the domestic front going forward as we get into 23. But that's put prices on a bit of a slippery slope. And uh, with that, you know, some of those deferred contracts, challenging the bottom end, you know, not putting new lows in, but thinking about those July, August lows that are there. I talked with the producer today, you know, maybe that second half of 2023, you might want to start looking about getting some flooring mechanisms in. Again, though, you want to keep price flexibility out there because, again, this market could turn around and run. And I'd rather keep your milk long to the upside versus locking in a hedge or locking in a contract here. But again, just look at those different tools that are available to you to build those floors and keep that price flexibility open in case this market does want to climb back higher. 
Well, John, got just a couple minutes here. I know uh, you and I probably won't talk before we turn the calendar to 2023. So any thoughts uh, overall risk management, anything on your mind producers want to keep keep on their radar here the last two weeks of the year and as we turn the calendar the next year? I know it feels like maybe a little bit more of the same we've seen this year is going to impact us this first part of 2023. At least to me, it feels that way. What's your thoughts here just risk management in general these last couple of weeks of the year? You know, I think we're going to keep a very headline-driven market, especially into early 23. You know, the end of the year here may be about position squaring. Again, the lack of traders in the place uh, overall still affecting price. You know, producers, still make sure you're looking at the bottom line, what you got out in front of you for value. Don't be afraid to find a way to move product or defend floor prices here. You know, because realistically, if you think back to 2012, 13, 14, especially in the grains, you know, we hit those summer highs. You know, if the weather comes back to normal, production comes back to normal, prices are going to come back down to where we've seen them in the past. And we could be just on ourselves of just a slippery slope that just grinds sideways the lower for weeks ahead. You know, that was very much the case coming out of the drought year of 12 into 13 and 14. You know, production kind of came back. So we got a lot of we got a lot of time. Obviously, we'll see what happens going forward. But again, when there's value out there, make sure you find a way to protect value. Keep the bushels open somehow. It's all about price flexibility, but you don't want to come back here and see things down significantly, and you wish you would have in terms of some type of flooring mechanism. I think the other thing, too, don't get caught up in the day-to-day trends, but watch the overall trend, right, John? Very much so. You know, Take a look at those longer-term charts, the weekly charts, and seeing how those charts are trading out. You know, some those longer trends can develop and they'll stay with the market for a while, especially if the money's flowing that way in terms of the managed money and the investment dollars, things of that nature going forward. You know, you go look at an equity market, just I know that's not commodity tied, but that put one real ugly weekly reversal in last week, trading you know well over a thousand points from high to low. You know, here we are today, Monday, a couple hundred points lower, probably setting ourselves up for a couple week trend to the downside you know, as we move into the next year. Same thing you look at in those grain markets and cattle markets, you know, look for those significant tops, significant bottoms, make sure you're ready to make movement because again, the money's gonna flow with patterns and sometimes those patterns can be, you know, just out, outweigh what the fundamentals truly are just because what the money wants to do. Well, John, if folks need some advice, they're looking at those charts, they're wondering what to do with their marketing plan. I know they can reach out to you there at Total Farm Marketing. What's the best way to reach you, John? Sure, I love chat with them anytime. Feel free to give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email, johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. Don't forget about that website of ours also, totalfarmmarketing.com. You know, as we're going into 2023, you know, maybe that make that uh, your New Year's resolution, just at least reach out and ask the question. See what's available to you out there because the volatility is not going anywhere next year. And I think everybody needs to have every tool they possibly can in their marketing toolbox, you know, going forward. TotalFarmMarketing.com. John, again, uh, we appreciate your time and contributions to the show here throughout the year, and I look forward to uh, talking to you in the new year, sir. Have a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll uh, talk to you in 2023. Sounds great. Everybody have a great holiday, and if you're going to be affected by the storm coming through, make sure you stay safe and you know take care of things and take care of your family.
Couldn't agree more with that. John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing, our guest today. A couple of the livestock closes real quick. I haven't got to these yet for Monday. December live cattle up 22, 155.27. February lives up 27, 156.05. Feeder cattle January down 167, 182.10. March down 90, 183.80. And in hogs, February down 7, 85.70. April hogs up 27 at 93 even on Monday. We'll take a look at a few news headlines here in the market trade. We'll also listen into the midday commentary I had with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. We'll get to all that coming up here after the break as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Big thanks again to John Heimberg, Total Farm Marketing, joining us here on the show today, as well as Eric Stodgrass of Nutrien. Great to catch up with both of them. Be the uh, last time we talked to both of them before we turn the calendar to 2023, as we won't have them on the show coming up next week here with the Christmas holiday. So we appreciate uh, their contribution to the show and their insight year-round. We'll get them back on here after the first of the year. Well, also, let's take a look at markets a little bit more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to him around midday on Monday, got Arlen's thoughts on the quiet holiday trade right now in grains, livestock, and the outside markets. Here's comments with Arlen Suderman of StoneX. Well, I'd say it's the the market lull in, in news to move the market at a time when the technicals are giving some headwinds for these markets. Corn and wheat both had up weeks last week, although they didn't finish the wheat with much strong momentum, and they bounced up against the top of descending channels on the charts. And so when they couldn't take out those technical objectives, uh, fund managers don't make money in a stagnant market, so they'll go back down toward the bottom of the channel. And uh, that probably, if the pattern holds, means lower lows and lower highs overall for these markets. Soybeans got some strength uh, last re- oh, last couple of weeks, really, from Chinese buying um, as they tried to fill the void ahead of the Brazilian harvest. But they've just about done that. And that buying failed to take prices for the January contract above the 1490 level, where there's some significant chart resistance. And again, if the fund managers can't make money in stagnant market and they can't go higher, then they're going to take it lower. Soy meal was also overbought relative to the supply and demand fundamentals. So it's seen double-digit losses today, and that doesn't help soybeans hold up either. How about in this livestock trade? It feels just kind of moderate mixed activity there. I wonder if traders have their eyes already on Friday's cattle on feed and hogs and pigs report, Arlen. Well, they definitely do have their eyes on that. We're getting a little bit of support from this week's weather. It's going to drop down across the plains in Midwest. Fortunately, it's just a two or three day event. So that'll make it a little easier to handle, but it is going to create some problems for livestock transportation and and uh, also for weight gains and and just for the handling of livestock and being able to hold um, to maintain production levels. That's providing a little bit of support, but fortunately, it's going to be a quick in and out type of a storm system. Other than that, uh, we've seen the cash market hold up for cattle better than expected. Uh, we even saw a bump in the product prices for uh, both beef and pork last week, improving packer margins. But it's still a time of year when we tend to see softer demand, so this price aren't, isn't in a hurry to go anywhere anytime soon. 
Arlen, real quick as well, Dow and uh, stock market energies feel fairly quiet here. I wonder if we're maybe just entering some of that lackadaisical holiday trade on the macro side right now as well. Yeah, holiday trade really tends to thin out the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas. So a lot of traders want to spend extended time with family. So we're seeing that weakness. Still a lot of economic concerns, although the VIX or the fear index is still relatively comfortable around 22 uh, keeping our eyes on China, where COVID continues to move very rapidly through the population, it's anticipated that all 1.4 billion people will have been exposed to COVID by the time we get to the last half of January. So it's going to be a rough stretch of weeks here for China, but then we should see a pretty quick recovery. And again, that's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Great to catch up with him around midday on Monday and talk about what he is seeing in the market trade. A few news headlines to watch as well. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack is keeping up the pressure on Mexican officials to back off plans in 2024 to ban imports of GMO corn. Vilsack planned to hear from Mexican officials visiting Washington late last week about how they'd modify President Lopez Obrador's plans to ban imports of genetically modified corn starting in 2024. But Vilsack warned. If the proposal doesn't meet what we think is consistent with the science and doesn't meet what we think is consistent with the, the USNCA, that we will absolutely uh, continue to work with the U.S. Trade Representative Office to, to begin the process of triggering whatever needs to be triggered under the USMCA. And that hasn't changed. And it's not going to change. The same message the secretary delivered earlier to Mexico's president. By going down and, and speaking to the president and basically making sure he understood that, I think he respected that. And we, we hope two things. One, we hope that we continue to see uh, a corn that's produced in the United States to Mexico. Um, and we hope to see consistency and, and uh, adherence to the terms and conditions of the USMCA or uh, a process in which we uh, trigger the dispute resolution aspect of the USMCA. Vilsack on a press call announcing new rural clean energy grants added his voice to ag lawmakers for the Senate to speed up confirmation of a key USDA trade nominee. It would be certainly nice if the uh, United States Senate would finish its work in getting a highly qualified candidate who's been nominated to be Undersecretary for Trade. Alexis Taylor, who is currently the commissioner in Oregon and who has worked at USDA in the Foreign Act Service, an expert in that field. It would be great if they could finally finish their work on nominations. Also still awaiting confirmation is President Biden's pick for USDR Chief Ag Negotiator Doug McCaleb approved 27-0 by the Senate Finance Committee back in September. One other news headline to share as well, Iowa State University's annual land value survey shows farmland values are averaging $11,411 an acre this year, a 17% rise from last year. ISU says farmers have a lot more cash on hand and supply chain issues led to a shortage of equipment, so the money typically spent on equipment is now getting used to buy land. The survey included responses from land appraisers, farm managers, and lenders. 70% of the people surveyed said land values were too high or way too high. Now, however, 48% of the participants also expect prices to be higher a year from now. About 28% expect lower land values next year, and 24% expect prices to hold steady. 
survey began in 1941, and the 2022 farmland value of $11,411 per acre is the highest in history. When adjusted for inflation, this year's value comes in at $8,716 an acre. Well, that's all the time we have for Market Talk today. Coming up tomorrow, Bill Biederman of agmarket.net. Have a great rest of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.